All right. Well, once again, good morning. <laughs> and officially, happy Father's Day. Yeah, come on, dads. <laughs> come on, dads. Happy Father's Day uh, to all of our dads. It's a big deal um, that you are raising your uh, children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. As the uh, scripture says, that you're being an example to them. Um, your Java certificate is in the back. Please make sure you get it um, before you go. We know you need a little pep in your step sometimes. I know I do. So <laughs> make sure you get your gift. So thank you for um, all the ways that you have served and that you do serve, um, not only your children, but your grandchildren, and um, see them pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, with that in mind, we are um, going to continue our series today. Uh, what we've been doing, what we started last week, um, is we started sort of our um, summer theme, which is um, a summer of missions. Uh, over the course of uh, this summer, not only will we be taking missions trips, um, but we had people who last week were um, sent out from our church to prepare to go to the Middle East. You know, for um, missions, we have um, one of our uh, missionaries who the church helps to support in France, in Marseille, France, who will be with us at the end of July, testifying to all that God's doing there in that nation and what he wants to continue to do even this past month. We've had um, some of our um, missionaries and church planters in Paris, um, France, doing outreach you know, amongst the native Parisian community and then also um, the refugees in that area. Uh, we have Senior Grimmy here, uh, even today, who just came back from... Um, Madagascar together and so we want to honor them and you can ask them about their trip you know to serve the community over there in Madagascar so we believe God's heart beats for missions amen it beats for mission it beats for bringing the gospel um, not only to our lives to our city but to the ends of the earth and so what we've been doing is we have the opportunity over the uh, next several weeks to go through the book of Acts a portion of the book of Acts and into one of the epistles um, that talk about a Macedonian call we uh, started that theme last week, um, going through the portion of Acts where Paul the Apostle was um, called by God with his traveling companions um, to go to the area of the Roman Empire that was known as Macedonia um, during the time. And we're going to pick it up today as he continues to hear that call. They together hear that call and make their trek to things. But obviously because it's Father's Day, want to um, also weave in the Father's heart because this is all about the Father's heart. And I think a lot of times in the idea of missions, we can um, sort of get one of two things. We can either lean in our everyday life uh, towards uh, just being, um, I guess, task-oriented or we can actually have more of a proclivity uh, towards actually doing things in a right manner. <laughs> and hear me the right way when uh, hear me the right way when I say this. Do you know what I mean when I say that? It's sort of like some people, if you're Type A oriented, you're just tasks. You know what I mean? You got to get a job done. You have a constant running checklist in your mind. Anybody like that in here? Okay, have a constant running checklist, right? And so sometimes in the midst of like all the things you got to get done or need to get done, you're like, okay, it doesn't matter who I run over in the midst of it, the job's going to get done. Anybody like that? Come on now, okay? And then other people on the other side of things are sort of like, well, I care about the people who are involved, right? And I care about, you know what I mean, how we're doing things and making sure we're team and family in the midst of it. And sometimes nothing gets done. 
<laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like you have the Mary and the Martha, right, working together. But God in his Father's heart is both, right? God in his Father's heart is both. He, he cares about the mission, but he also cares about how we get things done. He cares about the mission of the Holy Spirit, but he's also caring about um, the way the Father's heart being communicated in the midst of the mission that we undertake. And so today we're going to talk about... Uh, the Macedonian call in terms of one of the first places that Paul and his traveling companions stopped, which was Philippi. And the message today is actually called uh, the Father in Philippi. Okay, the Father in Philippi. We're going to look at how he communicated his heart in the midst of this. So, Father, we thank you so much for your word again today. We thank you that you've given us your word as a clear example and encouragement to us as to how we're to live, to think, to move um, as your people. God, we pray that you would help us to do so effectively by your encouragement of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, if you're taking notes, what we're going to do is we're going to break it up into three parts. We're going to um, break it up into um, the Father who brings salvation to households, Number two, the father who delivers from demons. <laughs> and then number three, the father who frees us from our prisons. Okay? The father who frees us from our prisons. If you have a Bible today, let's start with the father who brings salvation to households. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11. It says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia. So as we talked about last week, Paul and his traveling companions, they got the dream, right? They got the vision from God. And in the vision, they said, come over here and help us. It was God himself provoking, motivating, moving the people of God to focus on that particular region and the people, and they concluded that together they should go. This city, Philippi, uh, not unlike Chicago, was one of the cities in that region. It was a Roman colony. They found themselves there. The question is, what did they do there, and what did the Father, how did the Father explain or communicate his heart while they were there? It says, we remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the first thing that we see is that as Paul and his traveling companions are making their way into Macedonia, there are several cities within that region. They actually are making the most of every opportunity that they're given. Even you see in the uh, book of Ephesians, whenever Paul's giving instruction to the church in terms of how to live, he said, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, right? Make the most of every opportunity. And one of the things that a good father does, whether you had a father in the household or not, I'll tell you one of the good things that a good father does is he's always making the most of every opportunity. <laughs> he's always making the most of every uh, circumstance and every um, opportunity or um, uh, I guess event in your life to use it as a teaching experience, right? Did anybody have a dad sort of like that? It's almost like everything turned into a parable. 
Okay, <laughs> so like, okay, it's like those are the lessons. It's not, it's not necessarily the things that you have like where you're sitting down face to face and just having instruction throughout life, but it's more so the lessons that you learn and the lessons that you keep with you are as you're going along the way, right? As you're living life together, you're learning the lessons about how to live, about how to balance your checkbook, about how to be responsible, how to clean your room, how to get a job, right? <laughs> like all of these different things that happens along the way. In fact, whenever Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded us, it was a command that wasn't stationary. It wasn't a command that was static. It was a command that was given saying, as you go along the way and as you live life, make disciples. Many of us think of missions as only something that we do in a specific period of time. But the truth of the matter is we're to be a missional people who live on mission with God all the time. And how do we do that? We do that by understanding the Father's heart. He's always teaching, always making the most of opportunities, always using every circumstance that we have in life as a teaching opportunity. And so here in this particular instance, we see that God the Father, through Paul and his traveling companions in Philippi was literally using this everyday occurrence, meaning that when they went into Philippi, they were people of prayer as we should all be, right? The people of God should be people of prayer. And when they went into this new city, the first thing that they wanted to do was find a place where they could pray. Because before they could do anything, they depended on the Holy Spirit to accomplish anything, depended on God and his movement to accomplish anything. So they looked for a place of prayer. And while they were in finding a place of prayer, they found a woman who was there a woman who was a dealer in purple cloth, this Lydia, and there they took that opportunity, if you could imagine. They weren't on part of their traveling team. They weren't part of their everyday ministry opportunities, right? But they happened to be where they were at that place of prayer, and so they took that opportunity as an opportunity to teach. They took that opportunity as an opportunity to share. They took that opportunity as one where they could see God open up his father's heart and just as a father would take a child under their wing and say, you know, look at that river. Do you know that God also moves like the, a mighty river rushing through? You know, and so he's always thinking of ways to make connections with everyday life to his salvation. And that's what happened here in Philippi with Lydia. They took it, the father, his, his heart, he preached the gospel. She was already a God-fearer. And what that means is that there were people who didn't yet know Jesus, but they were part of a pagan community who were predisposed to the things of God. And that's the good news, right? That God's left testimony of himself, even in the community around you. Even in the community around you, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, you know, people that you're interacting with on a daily basis, they have some sort of proclivity or some sort of exposure to God. It may not be the one true God, but they may be a God-fearer, right? They may have some sort of sensibility or spirituality that's surrounding them. And what Paul did is he built that bridge and said, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to introduce you to the one true God in Jesus Christ. And if that is the Father's heart that beats in a, or should beat in us all. Think about the daily interactions that you have or the daily conversations that you have. How often do you really recognize the slow pitches that are given to you, right? 
We're in baseball, right? The, the slow pitches. I'm not talking about the ones that you feel like you have to be like all extremely like gung-ho, like, you know, super Christian, breaking down doors, talking about gospel time. You know, no, so I'm talking about, I'm talking about the slow pitches. Do you know what I'm talking about? The slow pitches where it just seems that things could easily turn towards Christian conversation or gospel conversations. Maybe somebody's talking about issues that they're having with their own family at home. Or somebody's talking about frustrations that they may have in the workplace. Or somebody's talking about maybe a book that they're reading that's making them think like basically in an existential way about what the purpose of life is and everything like that. Right? Has anybody been surrounded by things like this before? Just an everyday conversation with people? And then all of a sudden, if the Father's heart, is, we're listening to it and it's beating through us, we'd be like Paul to seize upon those opportunities to say this is a teaching moment. And though they might have been predisposed to God, they may not have known him. I'm going to take them, make the most of this opportunity and actually use it as a teaching moment to lead them to Christ. And then the good news is, is that it wasn't just about Lydia herself. It was about her entire household. It was about her entire household. And that's good news for us in here today. Was anybody like myself, one of the first in your nuclear family to start serving the Lord? in a wholehearted way. Okay, I was, one, I was the first of my nuclear family. But the good news is, is that once I started serving the Lord, I was convinced through scriptures like these that it wasn't just for me. It was for my mother. It was for my father. It was for my sister. It was for cousins that I had. It was for friends that I had that God wanted to bring his salvation as a father to entire households. And that's the encouragement for you today. If you've been trying to serve God faithfully, but your family hasn't come around yet, the good news is that the Heavenly Father's heart beats for your household too. It beats for your household too. And so over the years, as I've prayed and as I've ministered and I've reached out to family members, God has one by one started to bring family members even from my household to himself who did not know him. That's the good news of the gospel, right? This is what we see as an example here. This is the Father's heart in salvation, right? I even have my mom who love it. Like, you know, she sends me almost every other day, right? With the kids, they have their shared like phone for when they walk the dog and everything right now. They, they, she sends these text messages every day. You know what I mean? That's sort of like, you know, God loves you and the skies are green and he made it that way. You know, and it's like, you know, it's like that, that's new, okay? That's not what she did before, but I love it, right? I love the, like, encouraging message. Does anybody have, like, parents or family members or friends who do that? Like those stock photos and then, you know what I mean, the scripture of the day that they sent to you? Well, my family did not do that before, but we had a Philippi moment, and now, because God the Father in his heart is bringing his salvation to households, I'm enjoying it. I might, in fact, get a text from you, from her right now. If you hear a dinging, it's her, okay? And she's probably trying to be like, oh, don't forget to tell them. I'm like, that's fine, Mom. You know, but here's the thing. It's because he brings salvation to households. That is the Father heart of God. He doesn't just care about one member of the family. He cares about them all. A good father does, Right? Everybody always says, like, you know what I mean? They want to be their dad's favorite, right? Anybody want to be their dad's favorite growing up? Come on, you can be honest. You can be honest. Okay, you wanted to be your, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You wanted to be your dad's favorite growing up? Well, Father God, he said, I play no favorites, right? He says I, there's no favoritism with him. And if he saves one, he's going to save the household. Just pray, believe, preach, and make the most of the opportunities that you have as teaching moments. 
because we're believing that not only we'll be saved, but others will come in as well. This is the Father's heart in Philippi. It's not though that he... <clears throat> just take the time to make the most of each opportunity as a teaching moment to bring salvation to households. A father also literally, if you think about a good father, he, he wants to free his kids from the things that bind them up, right? Free them from the things that entangle them. And the truth of the matter is, is we see this in a powerful way as Paul and his traveling companions continue to make their way through Philippi. Let's continue in Acts 16, starting at verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer. Okay, see, see this as a pattern. They started in the place of prayer. Salvation came to a household. Guess what? They didn't leave the place of prayer. They went back to the place of prayer, right? It's like if it started with God, it's got to continue with God. It's got to re- we've got to remain in God. As they were going back to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. <laughs> I love the honesty of the Bible. Anybody here? Okay. I love it. Paul's like, would you shut up? Okay. He says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. Now this is interesting. He turned and said to the spirit. There was a demonic spirit at work in her. A demonic spirit that was in fact saying what was true, but it was not the Spirit of God within her, right? Sort of like people nowadays who talk about even revelations or epiphanies that they have, spiritual encounters that they have. Not every spirit that people interact with is the Holy Spirit. Everybody understand that. And though we live in a naturalistic society where we often try to explain things only by what we can see, taste, and touch, right? Our natural senses, there is a spiritual world that exists all around us today. And in this particular instance, it was at work in this girl to torment those who are preaching the gospel. So Paul turned around greatly annoyed and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here's the point. What a father does is he also opens our eyes to other thing, up to things that otherwise would have gone unrealized or that we wouldn't have seen. Things that might have (laughs) looked like they were profitable for us or good for us, but a father is willing to step in and redirect us. Isn't that true? Anybody ever have their their wills crossed by a father before? (laughs) Anybody ever have a father who stepped in and said, 
I appreciate that you think that you're benefiting from this and this maybe relationship that you find yourself in. But I'm going to tell you that there's something better for you or something that I want to do. I mean, to redirect you. In this particular instance, this woman by that demonic spirit was profiting, meaning that she was making great gain for her employers, right? By her fortune telling her, her spiritism, her divination, right? But the father's heart was like, it's not enough that you think you have your natural needs met. I'm telling you, if it's not me, it's not good. If it's not me, it's actually tormenting. If it's not me, it's actually going to be something that can lead you to hell. That can lead you to hell. And so I'm, as a father, going to step in and deliver you from the demon that you are, in fact, um, profiting from. And he opened their eyes to something that they didn't realize before, but it was the very thing that led to their good, right? And in each of our hearts and in each of our ways, whenever God is interacting with you, you should look for God to ruffle your feathers. Do you know what I'm talking about? You should look for God to ruffle your feathers. Because I think all of us would admit that we don't have it all together. We ain't perfect, right? Anybody admit that? No matter how long you've been walking with God, you are not all there yet. You are not all together yet. I am not all together yet. We are a work in process. We are being sanctified by not that spirit, but by the Holy Spirit who is making us more like Jesus. And to actually make us more like him, that implies that there's a continual need for change. There is a continual need for change. That you cannot get set in your ways and be a productive, fruitful Christian. And that's more challenging the older we get. Is that not true? The older you get, the more well-worn grooves that you're used to and patterns that you're used to walking in, patterns of relating to God, patterns of relating to one another. And it might have even been things that have been profitable for you. You've been able to defend yourself or get over in life because you had certain attitudes towards other people in the workplace. You know what I'm talking about? It's like to succeed in the workplace, I need to be cutthroat. Anybody heard things like that before? I need to be able to backstab and walk over people. I need to be able to play the political games. I need to be able to, you know, don't tell me I need to spend time with my family. I'm doing this for them. I'm doing this for them. I don't need to spend time with them. I'm provided for them, though I never see them. Well, let me tell you, God will interrupt those trains of thought and actually say, as a good father... I'm going to drive out of your life even that which seems profitable so that you could get on course, the right course with me. And the question is, is how do we often, how often rather, do we avail ourselves to that transformation in our lives? Do we lay ourselves before our Heavenly Father and ask Him to speak to us on a daily basis? Not just every few years, not just every few months, but on a daily basis. Saying, Father, I'm asking you, show me, test me, and try me. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Isn't that what David prayed when he was writing the Psalms by the Holy Spirit? God, I'm asking you, Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to test me, to try me, and to show me what the right way is even if the way that I've been living has been profitable on the surface of things, I'm giving you permission to change me. 
I'm giving you permission to redirect my course that I might be pleasing to you. This is the Father's heart that was clearly represented. And if you don't have that as part of your regular routine, the Father would invite you into it today. He would invite you into a time of evaluation and a time of reflection and a time of actually hearing from him first by his word, but then also, how about this? Because he's intimate with you by his Holy Spirit. God speaks not just in generalities. God speaks to you based on your condition, your situation, and wants to lead you, take you by the hand. That's a good father, right? He says, if I'm going in a way that's unknown, I'm going to take them by the hand. I'm going to take my young by the hand and lead them in the way that's a safe passage for them. That's his heart towards you, right? Because he's a defender. He's a protector. He's a provider, right? His heart is to liberate, strengthen, to form and shape his people with the identity that he has for them. And I realize, let me, let me say this, especially on Father's Day, I realize that I'm speaking continually to a mixed crowd. I know that we've been in crowds, you know what I mean, that have had good fathers, right? And we thank God when we've had good fathers. I know that we're speaking to a crowd that sometimes has not had a father around. And it's like, well, you're speaking of things which I'm not familiar about or don't really realize or know. But that's the good news about his word, right? He gives us these examples and says, though you might have not have seen it in the natural, you can expect this of me. Even when your mother and your father forsake you, I myself will take you up, is what he says, right? And I'll give you a new picture of fatherhood and what it means that I father you. And I know that there have been people who actually had a father in the home, but it was a bad example. So anytime you even hear the word father, it's like a visceral reaction, right? It's like, father, and like you want to punch somebody. That's just reality, right? Reality nowadays. But God's saying, I want to remove all of that, get a baseline, right? Get a baseline and show you my heart towards you. Through my word, I give you my heart. And part of my heart is not only do I want to make every take every opportunity to um, like basically bring salvation and use it as a teaching moment, but I want you to continually be moldable, shapeable in my hand because I want nothing but your good, my glory and your good. That's a good father, right? But it comes with me, him, sometimes ruffling our feathers. And that's part of the challenge today when we or been missing the influence of fathers is, or is that people aren't used to getting their feathers ruffled. But that's part of the job of a father is to ruffle feathers in a good way. And everybody said amen to that. Okay, I better at least hear it from my children. Amen to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So ruffle feathers, mold them and shape them, right? To bring you into what he has for you. But here's the point, this is, and this is my uh, favorite point, that as he molds and shapes you, he also brings you into a place of freedom because life happens. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's challenging to be a dad and see, like, your kids go through different things, right? Anybody ever feel that way? Okay, well, you're like, well, I don't know, I'm not a dad. Okay, all right. Could you imagine that with me for a moment? <laughs> okay. Could you imagine that, you know, you might have um, actually your parent, whether it was your mother or your father, they looked at some of the things that you were going through, you know, their heart bled for you, right? And they're like, Ugh. you know, I just, I want to be in there with you. You know what I mean? I want to fight for you. If I could, I would take it from you, right? 
And what we see is that in the middle of the gospel preaching, what happens in the middle of the good that Paul and his traveling companions were doing, what happens is that they have a revolt against them and they end up in prison. They end up in prison. We're talking about missions and what if we put that on the sign-up line, right? Sort of like read the small print. You'll raise your funds, you'll preach the gospel, may end up in prison. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Depends on where we go. Oh, the places we will go, right? Dr. Seuss. All right, so here's the thing. (laughs) So here's the thing. They ended up in prison doing the right thing, but the father's heart was still beating for them. The father's heart was still beating for them in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their pain. And we see that as we end in this uh, particular portion in Philippi. So Paul and his traveling companions end up in prison in Philippi. And it says, verse 25, about midnight, right? The darkest hour. (laughs) We've all been there if we're human, right? We've had dark hours of our soul. And if you're artistic, maybe you've written about it or sung about it. (laughs) Anybody in here? Okay, that's fine. No poets. Okay. (laughs) Okay, he said, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. (laughs) This is a tall order. Okay, they were whipped, their clothes were taken from them, and they were thrown into prison. And they're like, yay, praise the Lord. God is good. They're praying and singing hymns to God, declaring his goodness. And it wasn't just them who were affected, but people were watching them and how they were responding to their difficult circumstances. That's a reality of life, isn't it? We say we're Christian and we say God's good, and then people are always watching. Right? You, you ever feel that way, like in a fishbowl, like at work? If somebody knows you're Christian, then they're like, oh, I'm waiting for you to mess up. <laughs> right? Oh, you say you're Christian. I'll see. We'll see. We'll prove that. Right? So people were listening to how they were responding. The other prisoners were listening to them. And in the midst of their praying and their singing, their response, they were like, God, you're still good no matter my circumstance. In the midst of that, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, right? Because in that particular community, if he let the prisoners go, it would cost him his life. So he's like, well, I already blew it. I'm done. You know what I mean? I'm going to take my own life. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. If it were me, I'd have seen those doors open. I'd be like, see ya. (laughs) Right? I'm out to preach the gospel somewhere else. But Paul was like, no, wait. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, Okay, obviously a mistake has been made. We were whipping you, we were beating you, we imprisoned you in the midst of you trying to do some good. An earthquake like just took place and obviously God's trying to set you free. I'm on the wrong side. 
okay? I'm on the wrong side. So let me ask you just a quick question. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved, right? So all of a sudden, God's heart and his salvation are right there, even for those who persecuted his children. Even for those who persecuted in prison, treated poorly those who belong to him. Now that's a tall order, right? As a father, to be able to say, like, listen, I'm going to not only have a protective heart for the ones who belong to me, but I'm going to have a heart that bleeds for the people who mistreated them. You ever, you ever hear, like, think about that? Do you remember being a bully or having been bullied on a playground? Either one. Okay, okay, and in that, like, in that respect, you go home and you tell your parent what happened, and then, like, the parents, like, oh, I'm gonna go talk to their parents, and then, like, then all of a sudden becomes an argument between the parents, right? Maybe this is just on TV for you. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. It happens, and then it's sort of like it's hard to think that the parent would want to have a heart for the one that mistreated their child. But the father's heart is clearly expressed here where he's like, I care about Paul and Silas in their prison. And as they're postured before me, I've been working in them. Even in the midst of their trials, they're praying, they're worshiping me. So I'm not going to leave them to fend for themselves. I, as a good father, I'm going to intervene, right? Because that's what a father does. A good father will step in and intervene on behalf of his children, right? Okay, hello, do you disagree with me? Right. Okay, that's what a father does. A father intervenes on behalf of his children to defend them, to protect them, to speak on their behalf. But the father's heart is not just left and leaving the rest to fend for themselves. He says, Paul, you can imagine him stirring him. Paul, don't leave. Don't leave. Paul's like, I'm out. He's like, no, no, hold on. Cry out. Tell him, I'm still here. Because God wants you to inclusivity. God wants you to. The Father's heart was inclusive where he said, listen, it's not just enough that I free you from your prison. It's not just enough that I fight for you in the midst of your struggles. But it's that that I put my heart in you and that the very people who were problem people or issue formers for you previously, you begin to fight for them too. That's the father, the good father's heart, right? Where he said, the very people who are thorns in my flesh and pains in my side. Close your eyes and picture them right now. It's not hard. They come to your mind. Those are the people God wants you to fight for too. Pray for my enemies, he said. What? (laughs) Bless those who persecute you. What? (laughs) Jesus said, what? You know, it's like, yes, he said, these are the, this is the Father's heart that he's clearly expressing. So even as you, metaphorically speaking, worship your way out of prison, (laughs) right? That's, That's usually the point that we get from this passage, right? People are like, you're in prison. Go ahead, brother, sister, worship your way out. Worship your way out of prison. And it's like, okay, but what then? Do I leave all behind all the people who were putting me there in the first place, right? Some people think like even in their own marriages, they feel like they're in a prison. They feel like they're in a prison. And it's like they have nothing but spite, anger, and accusation against the one who feel, they feel like trapped them. 
imprison them. Well, what's the answer to that? Well, the first thing is turn your heart to God and start to pray and worship. Get his heart and perspective in the prison you feel like you're in. He said he'll open some doors in your heart and to, in your relationship for you. But then what do you do? Do you just leave them in your bitterness and spite to fend for themselves? No, you begin to, like the Father, fight for them too. Like the Father, fight for them too. And see that God's salvation comes not just to the one who imprisoned you, but also to the household. You have mercy on the ones who once imprisoned you, that you too might find, um, that they too rather might find the salvation of God. Many people are familiar with Nelson Mandela's story. This is a very cool story. I know he's passed away, but Nelson Mandela, years ago, obviously, he was, um, you know, first African president of the um, South African nation. But if you remember his story, we actually have churches in South Africa. And it's their churches that, in the midst of an apartheid culture, in the midst of an apartheid culture, were blending together native South Africans and the Afrikaans. We're bringing together those of African descent and European descent. And then all of a sudden, you, when he was elected president, Nelson Mandela actually showed up in one of our larger churches in South Africa. And he actually said, this is the hope of the nation. Jesus, the Christ, bringing those who were once enemies into reconciled relationship under the Father. He didn't use all those words, but he said, this is the hope <laughs> you know I mean? of the nation. I, I embellished that. But the point is, he said, this is the hope of the nation. This is the hope of the nation. And who would have known better than somebody who suffered what he did himself, right? If you know your history, right? Obviously, he, was, uh, he stood against the apartheid regime, there in South Africa, and I think it was for 27 years, was imprisoned. 27 years was imprisoned by those who wanted to be power players and keep the status quo at the time. But when he got out, he said this about resentment. He said, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. That's what resentment is like, he said. The Father's heart brings us out of that place. He also said, listen, you think I'm a saint, but I'm not a saint unless you think of a saint as a sinner who keeps on trying. <laughs> now, I know that's not in the Bible, but it's, it's good enough, <laughs> right? A sinner who keeps on trying in the midst of God trying to form and shape his heart in us not only to bring us out of our prisons, but also to lay our lives down for those who've previously imprisoned us. And he also said finally this. He said, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. <laughs> if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. The physical environment might have changed, but I would still be imprisoned in my own soul. And the Father's heart, as we see here, speaks of something different. He says, I'm providing freedom, not only for you, but also for your oppressor. <laughs> I'm providing freedom for you and also the one who caused you the pain before, if they would turn to me just like you did. Isn't that good news? Because here's the, here's the reality of, of the world in which we live. Hurt people hurt people. Right? Why is there so much hurt going around? Because somebody's been hurt before. 
and they're just passing it on. Hurt people hurt people. And God the Father is continually coming through Jesus Christ as the balm of Gilead, as a healer, saying, I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. I'll walk with you through all of life's circumstances, and I'll teach you. I'll teach you my, my gospel way. And not only will I teach you my uh, gospel way, but as I teach you my gospel way, I'm going, to, I'm going to change you, not just once, not just twice, but continually into my image. And as I continually change you into my image, providing salvation for you, I'm going to put my heart in you, the Father's heart, so that even the people who once imprisoned you, you begin to cry out on behalf of and say, hey, do yourself harm no more. Do yourself harm no more. The same God that came and rescued me, he wants to rescue you too. He wants to actually adopt you, be a father to you. Isn't that good news? Everybody realized that we were all at one time orphans. Okay, this just practical theology. Okay, we were all orphans and God adopted us into his family. We did not belong to him. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. And then through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, he's adopted us into his family to call us our, um, his own. It is not by our choosing, it's by his. And if he's given us grace to choose us when we didn't deserve it, how much more so those who've imprisoned us previously give them the opportunity to receive that same grace, that they could be adopted just as you and I are. No matter how wretched, no matter how deplorable, no matter how wrong in the things that they do. This is the Father's heart being expressed here. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. This is what it means to be a Christian, right? Knowing the Father, experiencing his heart, and then expressing that heart to the world. On Father's Day. <laughs> Amen? All right, why don't we do this then? I'd like us to um, have the worship team come back up and let's, let's just have some time with the Father, okay? Let's have some time with the Father, our Heavenly Father. And as we worship today and if, as we even go into a moment of communion, I'm gonna ask you, to focus on God in this manner, in this way, as a good, good father who takes everyday moments to teach us, to shape us, to shape us into his image, to ruffle our feathers when need be for our good, <laughs> and then literally to set us free from our prisons that we might actually be a tool in his hand to set others free as well. I'd like you when we go back into worship to not just sing the songs, but sing to and then talk to God as your father. If you've been unfamiliar with how to do that or God has not been your father, as we start communion, I'll explain how you can begin a relationship with him so that he can in fact be. And as you have already been a child of his, he wants you to draw closer closer 
to be touched, to be healed, to be strengthened by the one who loves you. On this Father's Day and every day, sweat box and all, in Jesus' name. Please stand to your feet.